Okay, good morning everybody, and uh, welcome to a fair morn, as they say in England. What I want to continue with this morning is to continue with the practices concerning the body. The body is the central issue. If we look at the Satipatthana Sutta, um, if you just did a quick survey of it, even if you haven't read it, if you did a quick survey of it, you'd find that the bulk of that particular sutta, of that particular discourse, is dedicated to the body. The rest of the sections, surprisingly enough, one of the shortest sections is on the mind. Um, the bulk of the, the text is actually on the body. I think this is very, very indicative of the body. The Buddha is always bringing us back to lived experience, how we live, how we're situated in this world, how we're centered in this world. The body is obviously our locus for experience in this world. I came across a quotation um, quite recently which uh, slightly amused me, which said, uh, it was by a philosopher who said, I have no problem with the body. I have no problem with the mind. I have a problem with the neck. (laughs) (laughs) The neck seems to imply that the two are different. (laughs) (laughs) So I think this is a very useful way of thinking about it because when we think about embodied experience, we're not thinking about something different from the mind. As you heard me say yesterday, when we were talking about um, when we were talking about the hindrances, so much experience is actually felt somatically. It has a somatic correlate to it. And what the Buddha is getting is to do is to come back to that experience of actually being an embodied being, situated in a world with senses. We tend to forget this, and we forget this at our cost when we, in a way, elevate the mind above the body, when we become uh, just simply almost minds rather than embodied minds. James Joyce, in one of his short stories in Dubliners, I don't know if any of you have read it, but one of his characters is described as living at some distance from his body. Yeah. Now, working in academia as I do, sometimes I get the feeling there's a lot of academics like that (laughs) who are living at some distance from their body. Um, So the Buddha is always bringing us back to this sense of embodied experience. I mean, there is so much in the texts, isn't there? For those who've got any familiarity with these texts, there is so much in those texts about sense doors. Sense doors are not separate from the body. Now, in a way, what we engage in in ordinary life is a forgetting of the body, a constant forgetting. As we get caught up in our daily lives, in our work lives, in our busyness, we forget the body. We forget the signals, the messages, what it's telling us. We overlook, in a sense, its wisdom. It's wisdom which actually understands being here a lot better than our minds. Uh, And we do this to our cost. Uh, The cost is often pain, the cost is often illness, the cost is often agitation, even at its most minimal. 
I just want to read you a quote, which I think um, I then want to a little uh, sort of talk about in relationship to, you know, I think, where we're going with this practice. The quote is not Buddhist, by the way. It's by somebody called Milan Kundra, and some of you might know who's a novelist. Speed, he says, speed, the demon of speed, is associated with forgetting, with avoidance, and slowness with memory and confronting. We move slowly when we want to listen to ourselves, when we want to listen to others and to the world around us. We move slowly when we want to accept ourselves. The rush of contemporary life overwhelms us and our ability to observe, to hear, to step back and finally to wonder. Society wants to blow out this tiny trembling flame of memory. I think it's quite a powerful quote, and I think there's a lot in there, because whether it be in the sitting practice or whether it be in the walking practice, one of the things that we're engaged in is slowing things down. Actually deliberately engaged in that, creating spaciousness. A spaciousness to be able to, be able to observe, to remember, to recollect where we are, what we're doing, what is going on for us, what is happening at, at this moment. The tools that we're given right at the beginning of the Satipatthana Sutta are basically the first section really deals with breath. You know, breath, the embodied breath. And that breath, of course, is never a future breath or a past breath. It's always a present breath. It's always a breath which is occurring at this moment. Equally, when we start to focus on body experiences, when we start to really examine what is going on in the body, then those experiences are happening right now in real time. They are not projected into the future and they're not coming out of our past. So by having the breath and the body as our focus, we connect into what is actually happening. Future is often about projections of what I want to do, how I would like to be. The past is how I have been. Good, bad, indifferent, whatever it may be. The future often is a projection of how I would like to be happy. Um, the philosopher who I kind of quoted a little bit of you yesterday, Pascal, said, of course, that the problem is that we're always planning to be happy and, the very, and we miss the very moment that we can be happy in, which is the present moment. So in our constant planning, we never get there. We never get to the happiness uh, that we designate for ourselves or want to achieve for ourselves. So the body is a constant source of present moment experience, of actually coming back into this moment and living in this moment, tapping into what is actually going on for us here at this time. Now that may be difficult. It may be joyful. It may be wondrous. But is what is actually happening now. If we talk about the movement, the development, the cultivation that goes on 
um, in Buddhist meditation practice, well, that cultivation, that movement can only take place, in a sense, from a place of radical acceptance. The radical acceptance of where we are right now, at this moment. That becomes, if you like, our springboard for making any movement, is that moment of acceptance when I confront the difficult thoughts, when I confront the difficult body sensations, when I confront whatever it may be that is arising for me. And that may be very pleasant. It doesn't necessarily have to be unpleasant. But what we're looking at is what is going on right here, right now, for us. The Buddha likens somebody who, if you like, develops this capacity as like a skilled artisan, somebody who's really skillful. And if we look through the texts, not just the Satipatthana Sutta, but all of the texts, then we find that the most favoured, if you like, um, person that the Buddha draws on as an exemplar is somebody who's skilled in a practical craft. Somebody who really knows how to engage in something extremely practical. And with the breath, the analogy is drawn between somebody who is a turner, somebody using an ancient wood lathe, somebody turning wood, basically, on one of these ancient lathes. And that skilled turner, as the Buddha says, knows when they are making a long turn and when they're making a short turn. They know, in the sense, almost precognitively what they're doing. This is very opposite. It's very different from the idea of constantly noting. We can have this idea of that we should be noting and we can get into the almost the ridiculousness of I'm making a long breath, I'm making a short breath, I'm making a long breath, I'm making a short breath. That's not how the skilled turner operates, is it? Somebody who's skilled in a practical discipline simply knows. It's an embodied knowing. And this is what we're coming back to constantly, is this sense of embodied knowing. We understand the world through our bodies, much more often than we do through our minds. That is the wisdom uh, that we uh, overlook, as I mentioned, at our cost, when we ignore what the body is telling us, when we ignore, in a sense, the information that is coming constantly to us. We are situated in this world with this body. And so there is this constant emphasis of coming back to this body experience. As you heard in, in response to one of the questions yesterday, the recommendation was, don't go to the mind. Don't get tied up in the knots of trying to sort out where anxiety you know, is or how I can solve the problem of anxiety cognitively. But to come back to that embodied experience. And I would say this is a kind of general Um, recommendation. Often when we're confronted by the difficulty and we get into problem solving, come back and and just tap into what is actually happening in the body. Where do we feel it? Where do we sense it? How does it feel? Can I sit with it? Is this difficult? Is it easy? What's there for us? And if it's difficult, 
if we find tension, if we find contraction of any sort, we can breathe into it. We can breathe in and we can breathe out. Going back to something Akinchino shared with you at the beginning of yesterday, you know, calming, and I think Christina reiterated this, calming, using the breath to calm. Yeah. That's an embodied experience. The feeling, of course, that that body being situated in life with the breath also, in a way, reiterates something which sounds very obscure and people get tied up in knots when they try to think about it, but this, which is this teaching of the Buddha of not-self. Because actually, when we really, really begin to actually look at the breath, it's almost like we're not breathing. It's life breathing us. Yeah. Isn't it wonderful that the breath is part of the autonomic nervous system? Yeah. If we had to think about breathing, we'd be at no end of trouble. <laughs> Yet we can control it. So it moves backwards and forwards between you know, the sense of you know, the automatic ways that we breathe when we don't think about it, but we can use that as a touchstone to bring us back into the present moment and also undermining the sense of I am doing this that the I am doesn't have to be so much part of the experience it's a wonderful it's a wonderful gift that we have this embodiment that allows us no matter how complex, how tortuous, how convoluted our thought processes become, there is always the body to bring ourselves back to. And that is a body of understanding. It's a body of, that understands, as I've kind of said no end, you know, a number of times already, that already understands often where we're situated, how we are in this world, far better than the mind. Fritz Perls, the Gestalt psychologist, used to have a wonderful expression, which was, lose your mind and come to your senses. And this is not coming to your senses again in any craving way, but coming to your senses as that embodied experience, getting away from the tortuousness often of our mental processes. So the recommendation for today is to, in a sense, work with that, work with looking in a sense, that correlates within the body of that which you discover when the mind goes walkabout, when it goes off into, I don't know, off into the desert looking for things. Um, we, can, we can really touch base by coming back to using this body as our touchstone, our touchstone of really exploring being in this world. Now that obviously then is taken out into the walking and before we do the walking I shall say a few more words about that as well. Okay, so let us settle.